For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Jennifer Priest, and we'll talk about Pinterest strategy and how to get more traffic to your website using a series of cool strategies that we're going to dig deep into in today's podcast episode. If you are struggling getting traffic to your site because Facebook has decided they're not going to show your content as much or your tweets aren't getting noticed as much, this is the podcast episode you want to listen to. By the way, if you want to reach me, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. Today I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a really cool tool that makes it possible to reply in Gmail with GIFs. It's called Giphy Cat. <laughs> Giphy Cat. Okay. Yes. Um, well, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as has become, quote, all the rage with a lot of different social networks is this ability to hit reply and just reply with a GIF. So no wonder it's now come to Gmail replies and Giphy Cat makes that possible. And it's spelled G-F-Y-C-A-T. So Giphy Cat. And this is a Gmail add-on, so it's pretty easy to find. What you do is you go into your Gmail, and then you go over to Settings by clicking on the gear in the upper right, and then you click on Add-ons, and then you just type in G-F-Y-C-A-T to search for it, and there, boom, there you go, and you can hit So how does it work in the email? Does it have a little search function so you can search for something? Yeah, so the cool part then is is you would go to the email that you want to respond to with a GIF, open it up, and then on the right-hand side of the Gmail window, you'll see the, the Giphy Cat logo. You click that, and up pops the search and suggestions of different GIFs to reply with, and you're off and running. And you just click the one you want, it drops it right in, and you don't have to just reply with only a GIF. You can add... <laughs> additional text. It's amazing. So we're getting to the point now where we wouldn't even need to write words anymore in response right. to people, right? <laughs> yeah, like often like often uh you and I'll have an email inter- interaction and I just uh, sent you a thumbs up this morning. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you sent me a thumbs up this morning and I thought, well, this is perfect application because I could, you know, you could have hit uh, a giphy cat thing where it's like you given a high five or something right. and I could do the same. Awesome. So. Awesome. Thank you so much for that find, Eric. You're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? 
simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And now for this week's interview with Jennifer Priest. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today I'm excited to be joined by Jennifer Priest. If you don't know who Jennifer is, she is a Pinterest expert and social media strategist. She's got two courses, Smart Pin Pro and Hashtag Pro. She also blogs over at SmartFunDIY.com. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. Today, Jennifer and I are going to explore how to drive more traffic to your website with Pinterest. And before we get on that road, I would love to hear how you got into Pinterest. What's your story? Start wherever you want. So I was one of the, not the very beginning, but I got into Pinterest early on when you had to get an invitation from someone else who already was on Pinterest. Wow. How long ago was that? What year was that? Oh gosh. I can't even remember. It had to be like 20, 2010, 2011. I don't, it was, it was a long time ago. And at that time, Pinterest kind of looked like little Polaroid pictures. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, and I was just using it for personal use. I had no clue how to use it for business or anything. It wasn't until like 2015, 2016 that I actually started taking Pinterest seriously for a business tool. Hmm. Tell me more. So, <laughs> so what, what did you do in 2015? Uh, yeah. And well, in 2014, I changed my blog from being a tool for promoting my offline classes, my online classes. I taught craft classes. And I also taught some social media classes and I sold things in Etsy, et cetera. And I had started that blog back in 2007 and and it was all for promoting that like mostly offline business of craft classes and craft supplies that I was selling. Got it. And in 2014, I started transitioning over to monetizing my blog like a blogger with sponsored content, ads, and more affiliate links. And so I wasn't seeing like a lot of money coming in in 2014 from those efforts. And everyone was like, you really need to get your traffic up in order for you to be able to get more of these sponsored post gigs in order for affiliate marketing to work. And everyone was talking about how amazing Pinterest was. And I just was not seeing it. I, I was pinning all the time and or I felt like I was pinning all the time. I, I realized now I wasn't. But I thought I was pinning all of my stuff. I thought I was doing all the right things. And I didn't know what the magic secret sauce was that I was not doing on Pinterest. And so in 2015 and 2016, I really deep dove into trying to do a lot more research into what the Pinterest strategies were, but also testing them with my own site. So an advantage that I had was at this time I was doing my own blog, but I was also managing other people's social media. So I could test things on my blog, see how they worked, and then roll that out on my clients' Pinterest accounts, and then see how it worked in mass. And so that really helped me with honing into like a strategy that really gave traffic. That's awesome. So let's fast forward to today. What are you doing now? So I still have that blog. (laughs) Um, Actually, the blog is rebranded several times, but it's essentially the same, the same underneath. Um, And I'm 
you know, pinning and, and the strategy has definitely changed since 2016. So what I was doing back then doesn't necessarily work now. And we've seen, especially this year, Pinterest has announced tons of changes. They rolled out tons of new features and the game's a little bit different. You know, a common, a common complaint I see in Facebook groups with bloggers is, oh my gosh, I'm not getting traffic from Pinterest. Like, is it broken? Mm. Um, and so it's not really broken, but the, the strategy definitely is different. So I have my own blog that I manage. I have my social media agency, so to speak, Smart Creative Social, where it has a Pinterest, but it's not that good. And then I, because I'm busy managing client accounts, so I have clients that have um, their products in, in big stores like Walmart, Target, and I'm managing their Pinterest account. So to go back to like what the strategy is, it's heavy, heavily, heavily dependent on Tailwind. I'm very much about automating things as much as possible and streamlining the process so that you're not spending hours doing anything. Because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a solopreneur and a lot of my students in classes and the people who are following me, they're doing this by themselves. And even my clients that are these big businesses, they might have one person doing social media or they have a customer service person or a sales or a marketing person who social media is part of their job. Right. And so the strategies have to be something that they can actually do in the course of their day without spending hours upon hours of doing, you know, chore threads or commenting on pins. Like those are strategies I've heard other people use. And my clients are like, I, I can't do that. Like I, I need to just get in there for an hour and be good, be done. So before we get into your strategy, I would love you to answer this question. Um, why today should uh, marketers, bloggers, businesses consider Pinterest? Oh my gosh, Pinterest is growing so fast. You know, they have they have all the stats on their site. I think it was 200 million users a day. Um, I may have that stat wrong, but there's a lot of users on there. Men is a growing or, you know, the male demographic is growing on Pinterest. So, you know, if you want to know stats, Pinterest has all the stats there, but from a traffic perspective, Pinterest has become this source like Google, you know, Pinterest is says that they are in the business of discovery. They want to help people find new ideas. So much like we use Google to find ideas, people are using Pinterest in that same way and not just marketers. Because, you know, we all early adopt. And so we're on there and it's kind of hard to kind of get out of our bubble and think about like, how does a regular normal person use Pinterest? And so if you're paying attention to the people in your life that are not business owners, that are not um, marketers, that don't do this for their job, like your family members, your, your everyday people, how are they talking about Pinterest? They're like, I got this idea on Pinterest. I made this recipe from Pinterest. It's becoming their go-to source for how they're planning their life. And so if you're not putting your content on there, sure, other people can put your content on there. That's the beauty of Pinterest. Other people can pin your content to Pinterest. You don't have to be on it. But you have a lot more control. You have a lot more understanding of the platform and how it works if you're on there actively putting your content there. I think another reason to consider Pinterest is that sites like Twitter and Facebook don't deliver anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. let's be intellectually honest. We don't get traffic anymore. Most of us don't get tra organic traffic anymore from Facebook. Or if we do, it's a small pittance of what it used to be. And the same is true with Twitter. Um, but Pinterest is like that 
train that just keeps on delivering. <laughs> and while it may not be as good as it once was, it's better, I think, at least for Social Media Examiner than a lot of the other social platforms. And it is something that many have forgotten about, many have overlooked. And that's what I'm excited to talk about today, which is how we can benefit from Pinterest, we being those who need traffic. Um, let's start with hashtags. Talk to us about hashtags. What should we do with them, if anything, when it comes to Pinterest? So I am really excited about hashtags. It's been um, in September 2017 is when Pinterest basically turned functionality on for that. And I think a lot of people kind of poo-pooed it and, and were skeptical about it. And when I see a platform, and this is just in general, when you see a platform that is investing money into developers and research and testing all of this new functionality, even if it's just something like changing the color of a button, that is something that is really important to pay attention to because, you know, Pinterest, Facebook, all of them are playing this bigger game. They're doing research. They don't just flippantly make decisions and say, oh, well, let's just change the color of this button for the heck of it. It, it costs money to do that. So they're not going to do it unless it brings them money. So the it's very interesting that Pinterest has chosen to turn on hashtag functionality on their site. And it makes sense. Because if they're in the business of helping people discover content, hashtags are a way to index content and help people find it. So it totally makes sense that they're, you know, turned on being able to use hashtags. But then there's the confusion of hashtags on Pinterest. People are like, well, nobody's searching with them. Um, I don't know what hashtags to use. You know, we've got, it's pretty clear what the hashtag strategy should be on Instagram and Twitter and other platforms like Google+. But how does that relate to Pinterest? And so it's kind of hard to almost wrap your head around. But if we go back to that Pinterest is essentially a search engine, what is a hashtag? It's basically a keyword. It's like a way to mark this piece of content as and identify this piece of content as being about a certain subject. So it's got a lot of power if we think about them as a keyword. Good. So talk to me more. Like how many is reasonable and Let's get into the tactics. Okay, so Pinterest says you can have up to 20 hashtags on a pin description. Should, However, we? Should we have 20? That seems like a lot. <laughs> well, maybe. So, th you know, there's limits. Because if you had 20 hashtags, you wouldn't really have room for a description. Oh. Because the, the description, like, box is 500 characters is the limit. So if you just pack that with hashtags you probably would run out of space, especially if they're long, like hashtag Thanksgiving dinner. That's got a lot of characters in it. So, I mean, I guess if you're packing in short hashtags, you could put 20 in there. But we've got to remember that we're writing for the machine, which is the hashtags. And then we're also writing for the human element. So we use the hashtags to help the machine find the content, but we use the description, the sentences that describe what this pin is about for humans. And so Usually what I do is I put two to three keyword-rich sentences at the beginning of the description that describe what they can expect from this piece of content if they were to click over. And then after that, I follow it with a branded hashtag. And the reason for that is when you go to Pinterest in the home feed, hashtags will show up on the pins that have the hashtags with them. So 
you've got the image right below that pin image is the title. And then right below that are the first couple hashtags and they show up in blue and in bold and they're clickable from the feed. So someone doesn't have to open that pin. They don't have to follow you. They don't have to know you. They just have to be interested enough in the subject that your pin is about so that Pinterest will serve that up in the smart feed. Use your branded hashtag as your first hashtag. That's the one that's going to show up in the feed. So let's say that somebody was looking for chicken tacos and they're really interested in taco recipes. And I have a chicken taco recipe that's a pin. And I put my branded hashtag at the beginning of my hashtag block at the end of my pin description. Pinterest is going to circulate my pin in the feed for that person because they've searched, they've clicked, they've expressed an interest on chicken taco recipes. So it makes sense for Pinterest to serve my content up to them and they're not following me. Like let's say they're not following me. If they see that pin come through the feed and they click that hashtag, now they can see everything that has that hashtag on it. So now they can see all of my content and then they can dig deeper and say, you know, I really, this is interesting. Let me see who pinned this. I may want to follow them. So what's the, what's your custom branded hashtag? It's just my brand name, smart hashtag, smart fun DIY. And in our case, it could be SM examiner or something, right? If we wanted to like for social media examiner. Yes, it can, it can be whatever you want it to be, as long as it's something that not everyone else is using. Right. Because the result is when they click it, you want it to just show your, your content, whether you pinned it or someone else pinned it. And so that's the beauty of the branded hashtag is someone else can pin it and now other people can find all of your content from your branded hashtag. So you recommend after your description, putting your branded hashtag as your first hashtag. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes. Let me ask you a question. You said you said that hashtags are for humans and they're also for the algorithm, right? Um, or mm-hmm. the machine learning thing. Um, obviously, this one's for the human. Um, but when you mentioned Thanksgiving dinner, this is the part where I had this question come into my mind. Is the intelligence, the algorithm, smart enough to know that those two words, Thanksgiving dinner, because a hashtag is only one string of characters, is it smart enough to know that those two words are separate words or is it not? Because that is important, I think, because people don't search for Thanksgiving dinner as one string of characters. They put a space in between the R and dinner and the, right. And, and the, yes. uh, the G and Thanksgiving, right? Yes. You're asking me very hard questions. <laughs> um, do you, so have I, you, fi- have you found that that makes a difference for the algorithm or is that more for the humans you think? I think it makes a difference for the algorithm. And the reason is that when we are putting very specific hashtags that are those basically taking those longer tail keywords, turning them into a hashtag and putting that on the pin, that pin does really well in search for the hashtag, which probably nobody's looking for hashtag Thanksgiving dinner, but it actually makes it do really well in the searches for Thanksgiving dinner as a keyword. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, it's like a double whammy. It's like, hey, I told you in the description that this is about Thanksgiving dinner, but now I'm also telling you in the hashtag that this is Thanksgiving dinner. Pinterest, you got to serve this up to people that are looking for Thanksgiving dinner. And we've done tests over and over and over within my uh, membership group and my course group because, you know, we do a lot of things on hashtags in there. Um, And even with my own content where in two to seven days, we can get traffic on brand new sponsored content by using these really focused 
hashtags. Are you capitalizing the T in Thanksgiving and the D in dinner? Yes, for readability. Maybe that's how they're figuring it out. I don't know. I mean, it's not not consistently. Like, not everyone in the course is doing that. I personally do that. Got it. Because I think it just makes it easier. Okay, cool. So, so far we've talked about the first hashtag ought to be your personal brand. What's the, what else do we need to, like, how, how else do we go about choosing those hashtags? Um, assuming we still have room left in that 500 character limit. Yeah, you, hopefully you would have room in there. Um, so you've got the branded hashtag and I, I wouldn't just use that alone because it doesn't pack very much punch. Um, I would use it in conjunction with a mix of broad hashtags and specific hashtags. So if you're looking for a number, I would shoot for five at least on a pin. Um, if you can put more in there, awesome. And with everything, you know, you're always going to be testing this process. You're going to go into Google Analytics. You're going to look and see, okay, what pins are sending traffic to this post? Do the top pins have hashtags? If they do, what ha- which hashtags do they have? So you can go, go in and validate it later. So you don't want to just stick to a rule because somebody said put five hashtags and just be doing that without looking at the results and analyzing it. Uh, yeah. So the, yeah. Okay. So, so, so I think I heard you say something important there. Did mm-hmm. you say to search for the key phrase and look at what other hashtags are being used by the top um, posts that are coming up and maybe scrape some of those? Is that what I'm hearing you say? No. Um, I'm saying in Google Analytics, you would look at your which pins are sending traffic to your posts and then in there determine. You know, look and see, okay, does this one have hashtags, the one that's sending me the most traffic? Got it. Or, yeah. So, but what you said also can work. So when we're talking about doing a mix of broad hashtags, which is what Pinterest advises that we do, and a list of specific hashtags, which is what we advise people to do, um, how do you find those? So the the first obvious way is keywords, right? So if it's, you know, a chicken taco recipe, it's going to be hashtag chicken tacos, Hashtag chicken taco recipe. So what about you know, plural versus singular? Does that matter? Chicken taco versus chicken tacos. Does do you think it makes a difference? Uh, it's not clear. And so we're still testing that. So what we're doing is Pinterest says they want fresh pins and or fresh content. And so what we're doing with that idea of fresh content is we're saying, okay, we're going to have all these different iterations of hashtags for this one topic. And instead of plopping 15 hashtags on this one post, we're going to break it up into three sets of five and then deploy those hashtags out on different pins and then go in our Google analytics later and look to see, okay, which of these pins is sending us traffic or the most traffic to help us figure out which hashtags are performing better. By the way, those of you that are super creative are beginning to say to yourself, wow, I can do this not just on Pinterest. I can do this on Twitter, too. <laughs> oh, we do this on Instagram, too. Yeah. I have list after list after list. <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty fascinating, right? Because if you, as long as you're using something like Google Analytics and UTM parameters to track all this stuff, um, then all of a sudden you have not just instinct, but data to back up which ones are actually working, which I think is absolutely fascinating. All right. Well, let's transition because we've got so much more to talk about unless there's something else you wanted to talk about. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about hashtags before we get into really what you just kind of hinted at, which is creating all these content variations? Yes. Um, You know, Pinterest will tell you to use 
like more general, broad hashtags. So if it's a recipe post, you would use hashtag recipe. You might use hashtag chicken if chicken was in it. But those those hashtags are really valuable for coming up in like the search feed. So if somebody was looking for hashtag recipes, then that feed is chronological. So your recipe post might be up at the top right after you pin it. And then it's going to scroll kind of down the page, just like in Instagram, you know, it's, it's chronological where we find that the specific hashtags are helpful is in keyword search. So we're finding that our content's being found because people are searching for that topic, not because they're searching for that specific hashtag. So that's why I recommend having a mix of those. So knowing the reason why you're using them will help you with choosing them. Got it. So in summary, the hashtag is also your data shows that the hashtag is an indicator used by search on Pinterest. And it's better to use it than not use it if you want to be indexable by search. In addition, it's also useful for humans. <laughs> um, therefore, you have to get, you know, some of the broad ones are going to get you some an immediate traffic, perhaps because of the chronological listing and some of the specific ones are going to help you get indexed in search. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes. Okay, cool. Now, um, in the end, um, I know that you have a pretty sophisticated strategy for getting more traffic and you kind of hinted at it a little bit about some of these variations and stuff. So why don't you go ahead and talk about how much content you make or how many pins, if you will, that you make for any given post, because I think people would find that absolutely fascinating. Yeah, so we we actually blog way less frequently. Like I don't write that many blog posts anymore. I don't publish that often anymore. What I'm really, really focused on is this fresh pin idea from Pinterest. So if you think about the experience of a user on Pinterest, let's say that there was a cleaning post that went viral on someone's on, on your website and you know, three years ago. And so this person has, you know, pinned things about cleaning. You know, if they're interested in cleaning now, they're probably interested in cleaning three years ago. So uh, that pin keeps coming up in the feed. And if you've been on Pinterest, and you might have noticed this where you're like, that's I've seen that pin before, I've already seen it. So you're not going to repin it. And what that does is it makes, you know, Pinterest is serving up the content based on your interests and who you follow and, and a lot of other factors. But those are a couple of the strong ones. So if you're a user and you keep seeing the same thing come up in your feed, you're going to start to think, geez, the stuff here is stale. I'm not going to come back. Yeah. You're, so, or you'll just tune it out, right? Yeah. And so Pinterest is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, I mean, I'm just hypothesizing what I think Pinterest is thinking with this move, but it, it totally makes sense from a user perspective. So if you take that same content that's still relevant to them now and you put a, a new image on there that looks different, maybe you go and spruce up that content a little bit because the post is three years old and, and you probably have new, better, more relevant things to talk about now to add to it. And then you, you spruce up that pin description to make it more relevant. Well, you might as well add some hashtags to it too so that now you've got this new fresh pin. Well, we're not just doing that one-off on a post. We're saying, okay, 
Let's think about we've got a year ahead. If we roll out a fresh pin every month, we need 12. So we're making... For each blog post. Yeah. So we're making 12 to 20 pin images for our top performing content and then anything new. If you already got Photoshop or Canva or whatever you have open to make a pin, you can just keep making pins, change colors, rearrange it, use some different photos. Like you just churn them out. And then we have like a bank of those in Dropbox and I have like a VA that will sometimes schedule them. But usually when I put it in Dropbox, I just upload it to Tailwind at the same time. So they're just sitting there waiting. Explain to people what Tailwind does in case they don't understand. So Tailwind is a Pinterest scheduling tool that allows you to schedule your pin content to multiple boards at a time. Mm, Okay. So, um, some of the psychology here is really important because many of us have been remarketed ads. And when we see that same image over and over again, we get annoyed or we ignore it. Um, and I personally now get my news on the Google app instead of from Facebook because they stopped delivering mostly news. And I've started to notice cause I go in multiple times a day to just check what they're, you know, showing me. And sometimes I notice they'll change the graphic or they'll change the headline on the exact same article because the first time it didn't grab me, but the second time it did. And um, I think this is so important because, you know, subtle little changes, I, I would imagine each of those 12 designs that you're doing are quite unique from the last one, right? So that they don't look familiar. Is that correct? Or are you actually yes. making them all? Yeah, because you never know which of those images is going to connect, right? And in month one or whatever, or the first one might connect with an audience, but the second one might connect with a different audience. And I think it's so fascinating that you're doing this because we're not all the same. And we do tend to, our brains are really good at pattern recognition. If we see something we think we've seen before, we just ignore it. So this is really fascinating. So keep going. So you create 10, 12 to 20 different images from one of your blog posts and And then what do you do with it? So either I upload them in a Dropbox so that we can, you know, kind of put one out a month or I upload all of them into Tailwind as a draft, which is a way better workflow because then they're all in Tailwind ready to go. And the other thing that I do is before I'm even making the image, when I'm doing my keyword research for the blog post, this is for new content, I go into Pinterest and I research which keywords I need to use on Pinterest in my pin description for that post, and I research which hashtags I think will work. And so this this kind of relates back to where you were, I call this poaching, I think you alluded to it earlier, where let's say I go and search hashtag tacos, I'm going to look at the other posts with the hash that come up, and any of them that have hashtags, I'm going to look at what hashtags they're using and maybe copy some of those. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> so test, put them to the test, right? Yeah, like if it's working for them, I'm going to use it. So what I do with that that keyword research and the hashtag research that I'm doing before I plan my post, you know, at the same time I'm doing my keyword research on like Keyword Finder or another keyword tool, I write my pin descriptions out and put them in a spreadsheet before I even write the post. So then when I'm taking my photos, I know what I need photos of. When I'm planning my pin images, I know what I need to to make. And then when I'm uploading all those images into Tailwind, all I have to do is open my spreadsheet and copy and paste all those descriptions and hashtags in. So it's ready to go for the next year. And I don't have to mess with it every month trying to find the description and search hashtags. Like 
I'm good to go for a year. Okay. Um, I am going to be very transparent. I am not a user of Pinterest. I have people that work for me that do that kind of stuff, but it's my understanding that there can only be one image typically associated with the article um, Mm -hmm. when they pin from the article itself. So you must have some sort of a pinning strategy. Uh, Let's talk about that. Like where are you pinning all these different things and how is that all coming together? Because I think a lot of people might not have thought this through the way you think about it. Because you have a bazillion different boards, don't you? (laughs) I have a lot of boards. Um, I heard that they might be taking the limit away, which I think the limit's 500. I want to say I have them around 250 right now. You can get lost in there pretty easily. (laughs) Um, So what I do with the, the post is I put what I think, based on experience, what I think the best image, the best description, and the best hashtags, I, I put that in the post. So I only put one. Okay. And then for ease of repinning, you could hide the other images with a piece of code if you wanted to do that. But I actually don't want to bog down my site with images that may or may not perform well. So what I do is I put put up what I think the best is the best one on the blog post. And then I put the rest in Tailwind. And then each month, as I'm looking at my analytics, I go and I look at each URL that's in the top and I look at which pins are sending traffic. And if there's a pin that somehow shot to the top and it's a different design than the one that's on my blog post, then I'll go into the blog post and I'll swap it out and put the one that's performing better and sending me more traffic. Question. Could it be that that pin got exposure from a super huge Pinterest user and maybe it's not because of search, but because somebody gave it some love? Oh, it totally could be because of that. And can you investigate that through some of these tools or no? I haven't looked that far into it, but I I usually will wait a little bit of time. So I don't look at it like this week and go, oh, this one just shot to the top and I'm going to change it out this week and then... I, I give it a little bit of time to see what the half-life of it's going to be. But can you because, determine why it shot to the top, I guess, is the question. Like, can you determine if it was repinned by somebody who has like a million followers on Pinterest or something like that? Or is that not? Yes. That's where I'm because going. Because you can go in Google Analytics, you can go and see the exact URL of the pin that's sending the traffic. Ah, okay. So then if I see that like Princess Pinky Girl pinned it, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's why that's taking off. Got it. Okay, cool. So... um you've got this blog post. We're just focusing on this one post and you've got these 12 or so images that you've created. Um, are you also experimenting with each image has maybe a different description and different hashtags? So there could be like for image one of 12, there could be like four or five variations of that, or is that not the case? You could do that. Um, so I do teach that split, that type of split testing in my course, where it's like step by step over weeks, over weeks, over weeks. But you can also just kind of wing it and then start to look for patterns. So, you know, it depends on like how scientific you want to be with it and how much time and attention you have to put towards it. So if you have more time, then, you know, the first thing you'd want to do is test your images and then you'd want to test your descriptions and test your hashtags. And then from there, determine the best mix of those items But for most of us, we're like, you know what? I'm just going to write some descriptions. I'm going to put some hashtags on there. I'm going to make some different images. And then I'm just going to try to see what patterns I can identify over time as far as which is performing better. So does the white background ones perform better or do the ones with the text on the bottom perform better? And so kind of like making mental notes 
or even you could take physical notes of the patterns that you see over time um, is one way to do it. Or you can get really fancy with spreadsheets and, and roll out the changes incrementally. Okay. So, so far we've talked about how, well, actually, let me tell you, in, in my, from my perspective, it seems like the way to get traffic from Pinterest is, um, first of all, to hope that you get indexed in the search engine, right? Um, second of all, to hope that people will share from the blog post itself. And But the part that's a mystery to me is how the different boards that you have under your control play into the mix and how many we need and all that kind of stuff. Can you talk to that a little bit? Because maybe maybe these things all intertwine. I don't know exactly. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so Pinterest is really like not into spam. And one of the things that they look at as spammy behavior is pinning the same thing over and over and over. And so when we're talking about like how many times a day you should pin and people are saying, I'm pinning somebody I saw today in a Facebook group. So they're pinning 300 times a day. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's like a lot of content. Um, it's easy to, to make it be spammy. So if you think about your boards as a shelf in a store and think about your pins as the inventory that goes on the shelves, if you have more pins that you want to put in the store, you got to have more shelves. So you need to have more boards. Now, in creating more boards, it's very easy for people to kind of go off the rails and, and start making boards of just nonsense that they're not going to have enough content to really keep that board alive. So I tell people that, and I call this like my five and five rule, that when you're thinking about creating a board for your content, figure out if you have five pieces of content on your site that you could pin to that board. If you have at least five, that means you can pin to that board one thing every single week. And then for the months that have a fifth week, you're still pinning one thing. Wait, say that again. You lost me there. So if you have five pins that can go onto that board, that means that you're able to pin one unique thing each week of the month. I see. And then if there's a fifth week, you're, you're covered still too. Got it. So it's not just the same four pins or five pins over and over and over. It shouldn't be on your, your, your board and it shouldn't be that on your account. So if I don't have five pieces of content, I shouldn't be creating that board. And assuming those five pieces of content have variations, I could keep pinning to that board once a month. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Oh, you could pin to it every day. As long as you had enough variations of the images because you want them to look different. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes. That or you can use other people's content to supplement and space out your own content. So if I had, you know, a chicken taco recipe and I have five pins for that, after a while, the board will start to look repetitive. So I want to start pulling in other people's taco recipes to space my to space my own pins out. Are the board now I know boards can have followers, but assuming you're creating boards from scratch, you're not going to necessarily have followers. Are the boards indexable as well? Like help me understand how having all these boards, which are like the shelves you talked about, how that somehow is valuable if there's no one following those boards in the beginning. So in the beginning, the boards automatically have the followers of the people who followed your entire account. So people can choose to follow an individual board or they can follow your whole account. So automatically when you start a new board, it has the portion of followers that are following everything you're doing. I see. Okay. Yeah. So that makes it so you're not starting from zero completely. Um, and then, and, and those pins will show up in the followers tab. And if you have good descriptions and good hashtags, they should show up in search. 
The thing about boards is you want to make sure that you're using a keyword rich name on the board and in the descriptions. And that's because Pinterest has said that they are using the board name as a signal about what that content is about. So if I have a board that's called I Love California and I pin my chicken taco recipe to it, it may be relevant to California because it was inspired by a taco truck I went to, but it doesn't make sense to Pinterest. And so it's not creating this strong signal to them that this pin is about a specific topic. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question that you might have to pull up your Pinterest account, but I would love it if you could share some of the examples of some of the boards that you've created um, that might share some sort of commonality so people can understand these, the shelving concept, right? Because you probably have boards that are super similar, but different enough that you could pin the same piece of content to each of those boards. Yeah. So continuing with the chicken taco recipe, I've got Mexican food recipes, tacos. I think I have a board just called tacos. <laughs> I have chicken and poultry recipes, 30 minute meals. Cause it happens to be a 30 minute meal. And then, um, no, I would have to think about the well, that's good. Would that's be. good, though. I mean, that's great. So and you hopefully, like you said, have enough articles that you could put at least five pieces of content into each of those boards and stick them on rotation. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes. And and you also this kind of helps you stay in your lane, because on the flip side is if I'm creating a new piece of content on my site, do I have five boards I can pin it to? Ooh, that's really good. If not, you might have to create some new boards or wait until you get more content. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, maybe. So let's say that I want, let's say my, my site is all about crafts and DIY. And I decide that I want to write a post about going on a cruise ship. I probably don't have enough boards for that. So I could create some boards, right? I have a travel board. I have family fun. I could create a cruise ship board. I could cr- create a... Mexico board because I or even a vacation board, right? Yeah. However, unless I plan on making more content for cruise ships, Mexico and vacations, I should not create those boards because I don't have enough content to keep the shelves stocked mm. to keep it active. Interesting. And what I'm hearing you say is if you don't keep the board active, that's bad. Yes. Why? It's it's not serving you. So one is Pinterest is like, oh, this board's not very active. It's kind of dead. Mm. People can also go and check out your boards and see the last things that you pinned. And if it's just kind of sitting there, you know, it's it's not serving you. So to keep the board active, let's say you have one blog post for that topic. To keep the board active, you've got to pin other people's content so it's not just your own pin over and over. And again, it goes back to how does that help you in the long run? If I've got two hours a month to pin, now I got to spend time finding other people's content. Like that is not a very good use of your time. And so it kind of helps you stay in your lane. Like I I could totally write a post about a cruise I went on, but am I going to? No. (laughs) What's the shelf life of uh, a pin? Um, Is it like days, weeks, months, years? So pins last years. There are pins that are really old, and this is why you should never delete pins, never delete boards. Um, there are pins that are really, really old that can just take off because somebody noticed it or somebody was going through and, and just repinned it again. Um, so they can last a long, long time. So when you're creating your content, think about the long game for it. So 
you know, if you want to, I, I steer clear from things like New Year's Eve ideas for 2018. Cause I'm like, mm, that's not going to be any good after a month. Um, so you want to, you want to make sure that your content is going to be as evergreen as possible, or even if it's seasonal, that it can kind of, you know, go on that rotation every year so that you can take advantage of the long game. Now, Pinterest, some pins can take a long time to get traction. And typically everyone says it's 30 to 90 days. Some content I've had take that long and other content I've had take off in two days and I see a huge traffic spike. So it's, it's hard to know like how quickly it's going to take off, but over the long term, you continue to see traffic from it over and over and over. Whereas, you know, on Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or not Facebook, Instagram or Twitter, that content's gone. Like if you post it, it's, it's into the ether. It's never going to do anything for you again. Well, I just want to say, first of all, Jennifer, I could go on for another hour. You have been amazing. I would love you to tell people where they can discover more about you and all the great stuff you've got going on. Where would, where would you want to send them? Oh, go to my site at smartcreativesocial.com and I have all kinds of buttons and fun freebies and things for you to get there. Awesome. Jennifer Priest, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's interview. If there's anything we mentioned, then you don't have to worry about taking notes because we took them for you. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash 319 stands for episode 319. Also, Hit that subscribe button if you're new to this podcast episode. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week, I promise. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.